0: Unique, yet common-sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen's Sports Talk. And we welcome you to the show once again. Coming up, one of my former colleagues, and glad to have him back the second time around, Todd Wright. He did Afternoon Drive. In fact, it was a show called The Sports Drive on WGTO, back when I was program director there in the 90s. And he will join us to talk about a variety of topics, including fantasy football, with championships about to be played and won this coming weekend. Well, the other day, December 17th, on MLB.com, they put out their all-decade team for the teens, the 2010s, however you want to refer to it as And uh, interesting to note, uh, some names on there from earlier in the decade, some from later in the decade. I'm going to go through the list for you. And the first team, the catcher was Buster Posey, first baseman Miguel Cabrera, second baseman Jose Altuve, third baseman Adrian Beltre, shortstop Francisco Lindor, the outfield of Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Andrew McCutcheon, D.H. Nelson Cruz. Starting pitchers, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke, Chris Sale, and the relievers Craig Kimbrell and Aroldis Chapman. The second team broke out this way. Yadio Molina at catcher, Joey Votto at first, Robinson Cano at second, Nolan Arenado at third, Troy Tulewitzki at short, outfield of Giancarlo Stanton, Bryce Harper, and Jose Bautista, David Ortiz, the DH, starting pitchers of Madison Bumgarner, Jacob DeGrom, David Price, Stephen Strasburg, and Corey Kluber. And the relievers, Kenley Jansen and Wade Davis. Now, what I would like to see is those two teams play. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, it would be a little hard. Some of these guys have already retired. But it was interesting to see that list. You know, that's a tough one at catcher. I mean, Yadier Molina, Buster Posey. Posey's got the championships with the Giants. Molina... Eight all-star teams, seven gold gloves. I might have gone with Molina on that one. Just a thought there. Um, who else? Uh, Jose Altuve, Robinson Cano. I think Altuve is probably the, uh, the better choice there. Um, you know, he, a lot of these you could just flip a coin on. Uh, but I do agree with the, uh, the outfield selection of Mike Trout on the first team that's definitely a solid pick there. Um, DH was interesting, Nelson Cruz. I mean, he's hit more home runs in the 2010s. 346, but David Ortiz, you know, he he uh, lasted until 2016 and already an icon, but uh in a last lasting legacy for leading the Red Sox to championships. Um, and then you can't go wrong in the starting pitching. Scherzer, Verlander, Kershaw, Grinky, Sale. You know, you could probably argue maybe, uh, you know, you shift up Madison Bumgarner from the second team to the first team over Sale, maybe in my opinion. But that's what all this stuff is for, is to create opinions and debate and whatnot. So check that out at MLB.com. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the program my former colleague at WGTO, also uh, national radio fame, and handles lots of podcasts over in the Tampa Bay area, as well as a tremendous golf tour. Todd Wright is back with us. Todd, thanks for being here.
1: You call us colleagues. Uh, People should know. Jeff was my boss. (laughs) But yes, we were both broadcasters at the time, but technically, Jeff, you were my boss. And you were one of my favorite bosses as well. I've worked for a lot of good people uh, like Drew Hayes and Len Weiner and uh, uh, Keith Larson, uh, Craig Larson, I'm sorry. Uh, I was thinking of Keith Feeney, who was also in management at the time that we were together, and you. So I'm naming some of the better people that I've worked for. I'm leaving out plenty of names <laughs> that i did not like working for in our business but you are uh, on the good list which well, is appropriate for this time of year
0: that is awesome and of course you know it's easy to be a good boss when you got great people working for you so uh that said um you know you do the uh, todd wright fantasy football podcast and this is championship weekend and a you know a weekend that has now taken on a life of its own after you know many years of playing fantasy football. It used to be on the last weekend of the season, but when teams had nothing to play for, it really kind of disheveled people's uh, opportunity to score points, and therefore this weekend has become is uh, is basically you know the Super Bowl of fantasy football. I trust your inbox is uh, a bit busier than normal, right?
1: It is. Uh, I, I'd say the other week that is this busy is the week to get into the playoffs uh, three weeks ago. So Mm -hmm. the week 13 inbox, taking those emails, the week 16 inbox, taking the emails are somewhat comparable. And then of course, there's the obvious pre-draft questions that I get from loyal listeners and people who know to use that email address that come in any any time during the month of august or leading up to labor day but yes it's been a very busy week just because it's been an odd year in fantasy football so many people including myself have been let down by rb1 picks in the draft wide receiver two picks in the draft boxed quarterback picks uh in the draft etc and a lot of significant players available on waivers in the last month um I'm sure there has been another year where there's been as many valuable commodities available to all via the waiver wire for the fantasy playoffs, but this year rivals those.
0: And what has been the biggest uh, uh, value in this particular football season as far as fantasy football is concerned?
1: To me, Jeff, and I do not play PPR uh, because I do not believe in rewarding someone for not impacting the game itself. So let's take the top running back in fantasy football this year is Christian McCaffrey, and he's extremely productive. But if he catches a ball on a, on a screen pass and he gains no yards, I don't understand why that's worth a point in fantasy football. He had no positive impact on the Carolina Panthers in that game. So why would you reward them? I don't understand. PPR is antiquated. It's 20th century fantasy football, and it needs to be eliminated. Um, and if people still think that those catching passes need to make up the difference of bell cow running backs or quarterbacks, then why don't you reward them with a more of a sliding scale in yardage? Instead of one point per 10 yards, why don't you go one point per six yards? And get rid of the PPR. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one of the things that I feel very strongly about. So that all said, in what I call Todd Wright's standardized modified scoring, the impact Jeff of the quarterback has never been bigger. And it's and it's last year Patrick Mahomes was a big part of that. This this year Lamar Jackson is a big part of that. And I even did a podcast earlier in the year, Jeff, that basically said there used to be, and I I did it at times because I play in multiple leagues, what was called the zero quarterback draft strategy. And what that is for people who've never heard of that is you would wait to draft your quarterback until every other team in your league did because you would get more value from the running backs, the wide receivers, and if you still play mandatory tight ends, you're obviously not drafting kickers and DSTs that high. That's dead to me. (laughs) That's gone. Because now if if you're in a 12-team league and next year you wait and pick QB 12, good luck to you. You better hope that it's another year where a lot of people pass on a guy like Lamar Jackson or that someone who isn't supposed to be a starter, becomes a starter week two, week three, and uses the legs like a running back to prop up all of his passing touchdowns and passing yardage. The quarterback now means more than it ever has in fantasy football, and I think we'll see that reflected in drafts going forward starting in 2020.
0: So I know you play in a number of leagues. Are you in any championships uh, this weekend?
1: Zero. Zero. Oh, and I own it. I own it. <laughs> I am in. I am in zero championships. Fortunately, Jeff, I am not playing in any last place games either. <laughs> now, keep in mind that in one of my leagues, um, the Moneyball League, named for the movie, uh, I basically play the role of Billy Bean of the Oakland A's, and the league was set up where I got the first overall draft pick and never picked again. Every other team in the league picks in a snake draft, finishes the draft, hands me the draft board, and I got to put together my team from who they didn't pick. I went five and eight in that league, and on a total points tiebreaker, just missed the playoffs. And we will do that league again next year, uh, because everybody had fun with it. It's basically me against the field, but... Uh, it allows me to really challenge myself in building a fantasy roster from scratch on the fly. And actually, late in the season, in week 12, I put together the most points of any team all season long. And the entire league was like, this is exactly what you wanted to accomplish, even though you didn't make the playoffs. So it was a lot of fun for me. But yeah, I played at a handicap in one of my leagues, not the other three.
0: Yeah, well, that's a hell hell of a concept, I got to say. So you're over in the Tampa Bay area. We uh, spoke earlier during the football season. I asked you about the Bucs, in particular about Jameis Winston. Uh, He's gone on to put up some pretty interesting numbers. He throws touchdowns. He gets a lot of yards, but he doesn't value possessions and turns the ball over a lot. Has anything changed your mind on him at all this year?
1: I would say... His ability to throw the deep ball has, has been added to his repertoire. Previously, he was a very poor deep ball thrower in the National Football League. I'm not talking about anything he did in Florida State. That's a different world. Mm-hmm. But this year, he threw the deep ball, the 20-plus-yard passes, extremely well. He should get credit for that. Bruzerian should get credit for that. Mike Evans should get credit for that. Chris Godwin should get credit for that. In the last couple of weeks, Rashad Perriman gets credit for that. But Jameis is part of that. That's why he's going to lead the NFL in passing yards this year. It's very difficult for a franchise to walk away from the guy who leads the NFL in passing yards, um, even though a lot of this is being put up and four straight wins once the Bucs were clearly out of the playoff race. I've always said, Jeff, going back to when we worked together, it's a lot easier for any team in any sport to put together a winning streak or a golfer to put together a good round of golf when they know they're out of it. It's just, it's called freewheeling. Mm-hmm. It's its not like they don't have anything to lose, but they're not in a critical situation where they must win. So from a win-loss standpoint, I don't put a lot of stake in what Jameis has done the last month, but in total passing yards and throwing that deep ball, I do. I like how you say he doesn't value possessions. There's only two candidates to me for the Buccaneers to use the franchise tag. One is Jameis Winston, that would cost about twenty six million, and one is Shaq Barrett, that would cost about sixteen million. You only get one franchise tag. So I'm looking at those two guys, and which one gets the franchise tag and what the Bucks do with the other one—that's that to me is one of the most interesting things they have coming up immediately in the off season.
0: Will be interesting to see how that plays out. And this weekend, got some uh, several games on the slate that are basically. Playoff-like atmosphere, Cowboys-Eagles basically a playoff game this weekend. You and I are both big Cowboys fans, and the burning question is, do we get the team that showed up against the Rams, or do we get the one that smells a lot like cat pee the, the, the weeks before that?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure because, uh, like all Cowboys fans, I'm concerned about um, three injuries for the Cowboys. Most of the last month, they've been without Leighton Vander Esch. I think that's a huge reason why they haven't been more successful. Second, Amari Cooper is playing hurt. He wants to stay with the Cowboys. He wants to win. He's playing through multiple injuries. He's not the same player. Um, And then there's Dak Prescott with this reported AC joint injury, and he's downplaying it. Jerry Jones is downplaying it. But, Jeff, you probably heard the same story I did. And Granted, they were up three, four touchdowns against the Rams. Uh, I guess... uh, 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 Michael Gallup came back to the huddle uh, late in the game and like all wide receivers do he wants the ball and says hey if we run this again and you do this and I do this I'm going to be open and I guess Prescott basically said yeah man on all RPOs I'm just handing it off. He couldn't throw it. Mm. So what happens if he feels that way against the Eagles and they're not up three or four touchdowns? How accurate can he be uh, making those throws if he's injured? How, how much will he... How will this affect his RPOs near the goal line or on 3rd and 1 or 4th and 1? Uh, to me, it's a factor. Um, they they pounded the Eagles the first time in Dallas. I think they're the better team, but I'm not sure Dak and the Cowboys can take advantage of the Eagles' poorest secondary, and I worry without Leighton Van Esch that the Cowboys' defense can do enough to slow Zach Ertz. And... Uh, Probably Miles Sanders, uh, a quality rookie running back whose best years are still to come, but is coming off a big week. So I don't know, Jeff. I really don't. And if Eagles fans know, then you know they can tell me because both <laughs> the Eagles and Cowboys have been so unpredictable this year and at times very disappointing to their fan bases.
0: Yeah, I would say the most consistent thing is their inconsistency that's for sure, and then and you know you mentioned Vander S. Sean Lee had a had a throwback game last weekend. I was so pumped up on that interception. Um, you know whether he can pull that out of his hat again two weeks in a row remains to be seen. And the Cowboys have just been get, getting killed by the the screen game and the short passing game. And with the Eagle tight ends, that could be very problematic.
1: Yeah, and I think they got a break. Also, look, the Rams have been one of the biggest disappointments in the NFL this year. They look like the team that couldn't score in the Super Bowl, not the team that could call their number all last year leading up to the Super Bowl. And at times, Jared Goff had people open. And whether it was a hand injury or just the bad Jared Goff that we know exists out there that has Rams fans wondering why he's a $36 million cap hit next year, Jared Goff couldn't hit open men. And you wonder what his future is. Uh, especially saddled by that contract, there were i 'd say up to ten throws that golf should have made in that game that would have kept the Rams competitive and he couldn 't make them
0: yeah so after the Cowboys and Eagles you know we got an interesting uh, race to the finish. who do you think is the team to be in the NFL is it the Baltimore Ravens
1: yeah, I, when you put it like that, Jeff, I think they are the team to beat just because it's been forever since they lost the game because they play a style of football that is not played by any other offense in the NFL, and they they had some defensive problems after the first two weeks of the season. They got shredded uh, by the Browns um, and by one other team week three, week four. Um, they had some injuries, but then they went out uh, – They they made an acquisition from the Rams. Um, They they got healthier. Uh, I'm sure they were coached up very well by my my favorite non-tic tac doe game show host Wink Martindale, who's the (laughs) defensive coordinator for John Harbaugh. Jeff, that's just a really good coaching staff. You know, we all we all we we love all these sports and we talk about our favorite coaches. It's not like the Ravens coaching staff begs for a lot of attention, but they're really good. I mean, for them to to take Lamar Jackson, and remember, Lamar said, I don't know why we're redoing the whole offense. I think he knows now. It wasn't for him. It probably was for the, the greater good, the big picture. Let's redo the whole thing and make it so tough for defenses to catch up to us in a span of one season. And Lamar is going to get the MVP award because of it, but John Harbaugh on the offensive side – and Wink Martindale on the defensive side, wonderful things. This isn't the Raven defense that won the Super Bowl nearly 20 years ago, but it's really good, and yes, they are the team to beat. I I think they can be beat, but it's going to take one heck of an effort from maybe one of three other teams out there that could match up with them to take them down.
0: And you mentioned what a great coaching job they're doing there. And that leads me to circle back to the Cowboys for a quick second. Uh, Jason Garrett, Uh, you know, it's been 10 years of Garrett, and we know what the results have been. And, you know, he's a very likable guy, that's for sure. But, you know, does, is it time for him to be expired in Dallas?
1: I've heard for a couple of years, Jeff unless Jason Garrett got the Cowboys to the conference championship game that he wasn't getting it, he wasn't going to stay beyond this contract and i still firmly believe that now why he wasn't fired in the last month i'm wondering if jerry jones is just so worried that the new york giants are going to hire jason garrett mm-hmm. and that jerry jerry would rather mortgage not having The team not succeeding now, so Garrett doesn't coach against him twice a year for the foreseeable future. And I'm wondering if we get to this offseason and Jerry lets Garrett twist in the wind until Jerry is sure the Giants aren't going to hire him, whether that's keeping Shermer or firing Shermer and hiring someone else. I really wonder how big of a factor this is here that Jerry doesn't want Jason Garrett going to the New York Giants. And if it hurt the Cowboys this year and prevented Jerry from firing Garrett for, for the good of the Cowboys playing for somebody else the rest of this season.
0: Mm. And I don't know how you would sell the uh, Garrett to the New York fan base. That would be a little puzzling to me as well, but uh, who knows, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, at this point, look, uh, coaching in New York is not an easy thing to do. Very few are successful with it. But, I mean, let's look at it. They have a young quarterback in Daniel Jones that they want to develop. He hasn't developed uh, under Shermer. Shermer hasn't won. And it's not like Garrett doesn't have a lot of knowledge of the other teams in the division. And if nothing else, it just angers the heck out of Jerry Jones. I think Jason even privately told people, that if he wasn't coaching the Cowboys, his first choice would be the New York Giants. Hmm. And look, Jason, Jason can deal with all the noise. I mean, it's not like coach. Look, I know Dallas is a different media market than New York, but you're coaching America's team. You're talked about all the time. How much worse is it going to be in New York? True, I, it's different, but I don't know that it's worse.
0: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. That's a, you put it nail right on the head there because definitely. Uh, if, if it's not the media chirping, the fan base is very loud when it comes to the Cowboys as well. Let's switch uh, gears over to the college football playoff. And this year, not really much chaos. We got the four teams that really probably are the best four teams. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. And one of the things I said throughout the Top Right podcast was how this was left a year about the Power Five and more of a year on just look at the top 10 teams. Um, And I was very worried when the first college football playoff rankings came out that because the committee was chaired by the AD of Oregon, there was going to be a Pac-12 bias because the Pac-12 hadn't been in the playoff in three years. They had an embarrassing performance in that playoff three years ago. Washington may have earned it on paper they didn't belong on the same field as the number one Alabama that year. And that's the last time we saw the Pac-12 in there. They've won one college football playoff semifinal in six years. And that was Oregon's throttling Florida State. Basically, the end of the Florida State run was against Oregon, and that was now six years ago. The Pac-12 is not on the same level of the Big 12, the Big 10, the SEC, and – They may be on the same level of the ACC, but they don't have a Clemson, and not even close. So the fact that Oregon and Utah knocked each other out, and thank goodness for Firm Edwards for his role in knocking Oregon out uh, so Oregon could be motivated to beat Utah. The playoff is better for the Pac-12 not being in it. Whether Oklahoma shows up and competes against LSU or not, I think we'd all rather see Jalen Hurts, right, because we're used to it in a college football playoff game where he's done pretty well in the past than seeing an inferior Pac-12 one-loss champion that just doesn't deserve to be included or on the same field.
0: Yeah, and do you think we see the LSU-Ohio State's ultimate battle royale?
1: No, I'm with the odds makers. Uh, You know, I know Ohio State fans were upset when they weren't number one in the eyes of the committee but then they got the the second punch when Vegas opened Clemson as a favorite and the money has come in on Clemson to move the number even more Mm. in the position of Clemson. And I think there's two reasons for that, Jeff. One, the last five years, Clemson has been, if Alabama was one, Clemson was 1A. And if Clemson was one, Alabama was 1A. So you don't question Clemson's validity. Second, Ryan Day hasn't dealt with adversity. The closest thing was the first half against Wisconsin. Ryan Day, are you worthy of this or not? You, you were handed this by Urban Meyer, much like Mark Helfrig was handed this by Chip Kelly. What are you going to do with it? How, how good really are you? And I hear he's very good, but let's see you prove it proving against a team that for the last four years went toe-to-toe with Alabama, and won two of four national championships and beat their last, what, eight or nine opponents, Jeff, by 30 points or more.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, LSU, you can't help but be impressed with them and Joe Burrow.
1: The the talk in college football for many years has been, oh, if LSU only had an offense. (laughs) They had one this year. And, I mean, the OC was a big part of that. The quarterback was a big part of that. And, uh, yeah, they sold me when they beat Texas, and I know Texas is one of the bigger disappointments in college football this year, but I really enjoyed watching that game, and I remember that night thinking to myself, damn, LSU just might be the best team in the SEC West this year. They went on and beat Alabama. Nobody's beat them since. I think they are very worthy of being the number one team in the playoff, but let's see. You know, Ed Orgeron has been around longer than Ryan Day, but Ed Orgeron hasn't won the big game. Mm-hmm. Like Ryan Day. So let's see. You know, Clemson can. Clemson seems to be in a really good spot to me. They would be my favorite, even though they're number three. And the only reason they're number three, Jeff, and you tell me if I'm wrong, is because. The ACC stunk yeah. this year. I mean, just stunk. There was nobody else in the ACC worth watching all season.
0: <laughs> no, I would argue that the AAC was better than the ACC this year. Uh, yeah, Clemson certainly uh, was, they had a big albatross around their neck by the conference that they play in. Speaking of Clemson, uh, they're going to have a little bit of blood in the USF program as Jeff Scott mo- moves over from the Tigers to take the uh, South Florida job. And, you know, I was, as a UCF fan, I was kind of hoping they would rehire Willie Taggart because I don't think he's that good a coach. Jeff Scott worries me.
1: <laughs> Very well said on Taggart. And had USF done that, it would have been the worst move in the history of the program. By I'm not saying Scott will be successful, but Scott makes a lot of sense um, based on the, the AED's pedigree, Uh, Scott's father, Scott's upbringing, Scott's history in the state of Florida, and it doesn't hurt that he was co-offensive coordinator. Everything we've just said, complimentary of Clemson, Scott gets a little of that credit these last handful of years. So, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Jeff, I don't think Dabo Sweeney would have let Scott take the USF job if he thought it was a bad, if he st- thought it was a bad first head coaching job for him, I, I think Dabo would have said, "You know what? Why don't you sit this one out and wait for something else?"
0: Yeah, uh, I, I think I would Dabo think.
1: would have talked him out of it. So, uh, yes, I think Scott was a good hire for USF. Does it instantly put USF on the same level as where UCF was prior to this year and where Memphis was this year before Nor- Norvell left uh, for Florida State? No, I'm not saying that. But I think it immediately puts them trending back in the right direction to respectability in Tampa.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, to go along with that, the fact that they went in and got the, the, the next fresh face, if you will, because so many times, you know, you know, Charlie Strong's a retread, and this injection of new energy into the program I think will be good for them.
1: They never thought Charlie would stay as long as he did. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think they... Miami did this with Rick. You know, they had four other candidates in the final four, and then Rick gets fired by Georgia. And someone in the room says, "Should we call him?" So they called him, and they said, "Would you be interested?" And he said, "Yeah." And they said, "Forget these other four. We'll just take Mark Rick." It it was it was the wrong move Mm. for the long haul. USF with Charlie Strong overreacted uh, to him suddenly becoming available, and they got a bargain, Jeff, Mm -hmm. because the offset in the Texas contract meant USF didn't have to pay him that much. So by the third year, Charlie was making big money. They never thought he'd stay. And it turns out he did. And then he stayed too long to get another job. And they had to fire him. And granted, it was a much more modest buyout than Florida States of Willie Taggart. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, no question about that. Well, as we're starting to round down out the year of 2019, do you have a favorite moment from this from this year?
1: Yeah, I do. And actually, um, just a uh, there's a guy talk station. It's not just sports. It's a guy talk station here in Tampa that I make appearances on. And they did a top ten uh, sports highlights of uh, sports stories of 2019. And I kept waiting to hear what mine was, and they never said it, which I thought was odd. To me, it's Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Mm. Um, And I know people are going to make a case for other things, and you go right ahead. (laughs) But Tiger Woods is the number one name in sports and has been ever since as a kid. He won the Masters by double digits. And whether Tiger is good or Tiger is in the news for all the wrong reasons, people want to know about Tiger Woods. They rooted for the comeback, surprising to some, including him and me they got it. And Tiger Woods won his 15th major, three behind Jack Nicklaus. And he looks like, I know we're jumping ahead here, Mm -hmm. after the President's Cup, it sure looks like he, he should be considered someone that could win the Masters again in 2020. To me, Tiger Woods coming all the way back and winning another green jacket was the moment in sports in 2019.
0: And we're also coming to the end of a decade. Is that your top moment of the decade, or do you have something else?
1: No, I, I, was, I was thinking of that, Jeff, and I guess I don't think big picture like that anymore. Maybe I did when we worked together, mm-hmm. um, but things come and go. The one thing that, that stands out to me beyond just, let me look at that, that frame of time there, beyond just the run of Belichick and Brady, and I know that goes back before this decade, would be the run of LeBron James. Hmm. And LeBron James has been fighting a losing PR battle ever since the TV show where he announced he was taking his talents to South Beach. But it is not lost on me that LeBron James is a player who went to basically as many straight NBA finals. We hadn't seen anybody do that since the great Celtics teams of the 1950s and 60s. So to me, when I think of this decade and maybe the greatest athlete of the entire decade, and how he did it every year on multiple teams in multiple cities with different coaches, with different players. The fact that LeBron James made the NBA Finals for as many years as he did. I know he bottomed out last year with the Lakers. To me, that is a huge memory for me and a huge compliment to LeBron James on how good he is to do that that many years in a row.
0: Yeah, amidst the PR stuff, his greatness as a player is definitely unquestioned. So I'm going to add, throw uh, a bonus question in here for you uh, that we didn't that I didn't tell you about. Are you in favor of the Saved by the Bell reboot?
1: Yes, I am because we didn't get chaos in the college football playoff. We might get chaos in the reboot. <laughs> There's a lot of moving parts there, and you know I'm friends with uh, the principal. That's right. uh, Mr. Belding, everyone's favorite uh, principal, Dennis Haskins. Um, I actually spoke to Dennis a number of months ago. Uh, I'll keep uh, the details of that private just because he asked me to be discreet about it. But um, I wish Dennis the best. And, yeah, I mean, if all these other things can come back. Now we're talking a reboot with new people playing kelly kapowski and ac slater and zach morris and screech or are we talking new characters are we talking saved by the bell the new class 2.0 or <laughs> a saved by the bell
0: 2.0 i believe this is saved by the bell with uh uh with a uh, slater and jesse as parents right. i believe that's how that is supposed to go but so
1: anyway hopefully it's good casting hopefully it's good casting because if they don't get the casting right, I'm out within the first five minutes.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Because I, I, I knew I had to ask you about that. Uh, because when I think of saying the, by the bell, you come into mind for some reason. <laughs> anyway, um, before we let you run, please uh, let the folks know about all the uh, the podcast you're doing, your golf tour. Run with it.
1: Uh, I'd love for them to follow me on Instagram at ToddWright2020 t-o-d-d-w-r-i-g-h-t 2020 pick me up on facebook i'm just todd wright in tampa florida would love to have you follow along on facebook i'm not on twitter very much so just facebook and instagram are where i do most of my activity i promote my golf tournaments uh the todd wright tour are golf tournaments for players of all skill levels and all ages and they're very unique golf events i've hosted 22 of them since october of 2015 and the Todd Wright Tour Championship in 2020 will be played on the Copperhead course at Innisbrook, the same course where the Valspar Championship is held uh, with PJ Tour annually in Tampa Bay. And I make my events very affordable and very fun for my players. And uh, I've built quite a group and quite a little family of golfers that follow me around the Tampa Bay area. Uh, my podcast who knew talking into a laptop could be so successful? But that's what we've come to, Jeff. You know that well. The Todd Wright Fantasy Football Podcast is just finishing year four. The Todd Wright Podcast is going to finish year one with 75 unique episodes. We'll push that to 100 episodes in 2020. And uh, I do television for occasionally for News 13 in Orlando, but more often for Spectrum Bay News 9 uh, in, in Tampa. Similar models, similar format uh, with the 10.30 p.m. Uh, Spectrum Sports 360 show, as well as uh, contributing to VEASAN, Brent Musburger's network out of Las Vegas uh, online and on SiriusXM.
0: Hey, where do you have time to do all that?
1: <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I retired from national radio after 17 and a half years, six years ago. I am busier now than in retirement. I was when I worked in national radio. I don't know what's going on, but I guess it keeps me busy and out of trouble.
0: And as long as you're having fun, what the heck, right? Right.
1: That's <laughs> that's very very important.
0: Exactly, Todd Wright. Thanks so much for being here. We always appreciate your time and uh happy holidays to you, my friend.
1: Always a pleasure to come on, Jeff. Thanks for remembering me.
0: It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yep. The College Bowl season now underway. Isn't that great? That is fantastic. Got our first two games on this Friday. The Bahamas Bowl, the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. Uh, Now as I speak... And then we'll have bowl games throughout the weekend and all next week. Definitely a lot of fun. And you've heard me contradict myself a million times on this. There's way too many bowl games, way too many 6-6 and teams taking road trips that really shouldn't be there. But you know, you stick a football game in front of me when there's nothing else on, I'm going to (laughs) watch. So there you have it. And you know, when it came to mind... As I was talking to Todd about coming to the end of the year, coming to the end of a decade. Can't believe it's going to be 2020. Not too many days from now. You think about that, you know, it just seemed like yesterday we were worried about Y2K and the internet not working and not being able to pump gas or get money out of the bank and, you know, Mad Max from Thunderdome, time's breaking out, (laughs) That is just totally, totally blows my mind that we're coming up on 2020. Again, it is the holiday season. And when you get those new devices to listen to your podcast on, whether it be a new phone, new laptop, new portable assistant, one of the Google ones, the, the Echo, whatever one of the, those are, you know, just... Make sure you say play Jeff Allen's Sports Talk and uh, keep up with us. And as always, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88. And as we get set to wish you Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays and whatnot. Um, not sure if we're going to do a show next week or not. So you have to look for that. And if we don't do a show next week, we'll definitely uh, be back at you after the new year. And again, I wish you the very, very best for a safe and happy holiday season. And with that, we are done here. L-V-E dot net.